0: Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team
1: prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shplc.com for details.
0: Welcome to Beyond the Stethoscope, Bible Conversations with SHP. We're busy gearing up for Season 3.
2: In the meantime, enjoy this Greatest Hit episode from our archives.
0: We hope you enjoy it. We look forward to you joining us on October 11th as we kick off Season 3.
2: Beyond the Stethoscope, Vital Conversations with SHP. Normally today's episode would be the latest headline news with myself and Jason, but with recent CMS updates about provider enrollment, we felt the need to bring you some timely information about these changes was more important. So we sat down with Raquel Grisard, SHP's provider enrollment expert. She's been in provider enrollment since 2014, and while she's seen her fair share of changes, none have been dramatic as this, all at once. We discussed DME POS, child filing, changes to the 8550, the new specialists that have been added, and much more. Are you ready for this vital conversation? Let's get started.
0: All right, today our guest is SHP's very own Raquel Grizzard. Raquel is our Enrollment Initiatives Manager who has been with SHP for Eight years now, primarily in our provider enrollment and credentialing areas. Raquel, thanks for joining us today and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, guys. Good to be here.
0: We are going to dive into lots of good provider enrollment. We often joke it's probably the most undervalued, underappreciated aspect of uh, provider reimbursement in particular that folks just don't appreciate. So we're really glad to have someone with Raquel's expertise, also known as the enrollment slayer. All right, so let's just jump right into it. Uh, CMS issued some significant updates, uh, provider enrollment space for 2023. Can you highlight a few of those for our audience?
1: Yes, so we do have some exciting changes on the horizon here. First one up on the docket, the DME uh, space for enrollment. So we've got a contractor change with how these are processed. And this, the process is still online through Picos. You now have two different contractors. We've got uh, Novitas and we've got Palmetto handling. They're splitting, splitting the country here doing these. And so with that change, of course, every change brings challenges, of course.
0: So with these types of changes, what, what's probably the first one you're seeing that you're, you're yes, in your space today that are impacting providers mostly on the day-to-day?
1: So having any DME changes or initial enrollments, the process has changed a little bit. Um, The contractor we have experience with, Novitas, they reach out, you know, a different way than the old contractor used to. They're looking for different benchmarks, different things on the applications. And so what we're starting to see is our processing time has increased a little bit here with this contractor. That may get better. As time goes on and they get used to their their new role and their new responsibilities, but we are seeing some increased processing time for DME suppliers. And um, the next point, which is pretty important for these offices that they need to be aware of, we are seeing an increase in site visits, especially with the DME space. They are coming out to check your door for your hours, make sure those are posted, they match your NPI database, make sure you're storing everything correctly. So um, with the release on some of the COVID restrictions, we are seeing those um, CMS agents back in the field.
2: Well, and, and certainly the last thing you want to see is the CMS coming and knocking at your door, but what can a practice expect if they do come knocking? Are they, are they gonna get penalized if something's wrong or are they given a, a window of
1: time to fix it? Sure, If if there are any deficiencies, They will let you know what the problem is, how you can remedy that, and what your time frame is to get that corrected or rectified. And so some things you can be aware of if you have your credentialing department processing a change or an initial enrollment for your DME space, you're going to need to let the rest of the staff be aware that someone may come for a site visit and make sure that your ducks are really in a row and that everyone is anticipating said visit.
2: Do they send a letter or do they just show up?
1: No, you're not going to get any heads up on this one. They are just going to show up uh, whenever they, they want, and they're going to be looking for those things on a surprise visit.
0: <laughs> kind of like good old Jayco visits in the hospital setting,
1: right? You just It's exactly like that. They will show up without warning.
0: And for those of maybe that haven't experienced it, what are some of the consequences? You know, you're not prepared. They show up. You don't have the check. Uh, The checkbox is marked. What usually happens after that site visit that folks can learn from?
1: So they'll let you know what's deficient, how long you have to fix it. So the first point here is, you know, if you're doing an initial enrollment and you're waiting to open your doors, this is going to delay patient care. That's the most important part that practices need to realize, manage your expectations and build in that extra time. You know what I mean? our processing time, they say, okay, you have 120 days, but if they show up and you have deficiencies that have to be corrected, you're going to have to add more time to that. So definitely be aware that your processing time will be increased for any deficiencies. The penalization part, we're not seeing anything going on with that right now. Luckily, we don't have any practices that have had any real deficits. They're just going to ask you to either move your stock or make sure your hours that are posted on your door match NPI. And it's really just having, you know, your T's crossed and your I's dotted.
0: Now, you you mentioned before uh, initial enrollment, and we obviously go through that a lot, initial enrollment, maintenance of enrollment, chows, et cetera. Uh, I noticed uh, that there were some changes along those lines in terms of what's allowed now going forward when you submit for initial enrollment, when you submit for chow what What are some of those impactful changes, like you know eFTs you only allow a certain number of EFTs things of that nature that you saw that may be impactful to providers
1: so that's a good question, especially with a startup, you really need to make sure that your your bank is set to go. What we are seeing is a lot of practices will start up, they get a business checking account, and there's no money in it. And when Medicare goes to verify that EFT, if there is no money in the account, your EFT will not be processed. So these are little things that we end up learning on the back end when our practices, you know, get dinged for things like that. So um, they are actually verifying your EFTs. If you're making a change to EFT, you are now required to delete your old EFT agreement and do a complete new one. And there can be a gap in that if you're not careful where you're seeing 15 to 30 days where paper checks will come instead of actual direct deposits. And so those changes can take anywhere from 30 to 60 days to process when you do change EFT. So your billers need to be aware that if payments stop coming, you might have to start looking for paper checks or you know do your best to mitigate that patient flow if you're a very heavy Medicare practice.
0: Very important point you made there too. So many nuances and details in the process a delay or an inaccurate form can delay payment. And I don't think folks appreciate that enough, so that's a great statement you made there.
2: So, so speaking of, of nuance and details, which of the providers are able to enroll on the 8550?
1: So, on our 8550 applications, Medicare is currently allowing 13 provider types, and so you have your different flavors of doctors, right? Your MDs, your DOs, dentists, podiatrist, optometrist. We are also having um, mid-levels and extenders that are able to enroll in the 8550. So your PAs, nurse practitioners, um, a various amount of psych providers, midwives, social workers, and then um, the key here is residents. So we do have resident physicians that are able to enroll, as well as retired physicians who are maintaining a license.
0: Now, speaking of provider types, Aaron and I have talked about in the past the ruling regarding the rural emergency hospitals that came out last year, the designation that many folks are looking into, yet we we know many aren't pursuing, but still of interest. What impact has that had in terms of maybe as a new provider type that folks need to be heads up about in 2023 that reh designation
1: excellent so this is really important and this is a great a great thing that they've done to help close the gap for some of these really rural areas where you may not have enough care and so in the past cms and other various organizations have tried to mitigate that gap in care by offering um, you know the rural physician tax credit You get a certain amount of your student loans that are forgiven if you will go and you will work for two to three years in a rural setting. Um, Because we just have a huge gap in care out there, right? You have a little teeny tiny county hospital, and you don't have a lot of providers out in that area to serve that population. And that population is aging as well. And so it's very important that we have care in those areas. And so um, Medicare established the rural emergency um, hospital's designation. It's a provider type. Um, that you can actually not only initially enroll for, but you can convert your current enrollment, which is excellent. If you're already a facility that somehow you now meet this criteria, instead of doing a completely new enrollment, you can convert yours with a change of information, which takes significantly less time to process. So they're trying to close that gap here by providing that care and cutting down the time it takes to actually provide that care for those people out there that vulnerable market out in those rural areas.
2: I know Jason and I have talked a little bit about the REH at least in the in the last season we we talked about it. Um have you seen a a rush towards that or I know we're still in the very early days of it, but from your perspective have have we seen a, a hospitals or or clinicians heading that direction?
1: We do service a lot of rural facilities. Um, the criteria, it's its not wide criteria. So to be eligible to convert, you do have to be a critical access hospital or rural hospital that did not have more than 50 beds. So we're talking about really small facilities here. Um, you're allowed to provide your emergency services observation, but are prohibited um, providing inpatient services. So... We don't have a lot that meet that criteria, but we know that they are out there. You know, we're getting wind of it. People are calling to ask for advice and help and, you know, how they can go about that. Do they meet that criteria? That need is there. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see a shift in facilities that do meet that criteria. Definitely moving towards that.
0: What advice would you give to those types of providers looking to make that conversion From the enrollment aspect to be best prepared. I know you guys have a tremendous checklist you kind of go through. Any kind of details, or hey, here's the top three takeaways if you're looking to make that conversion to best allow for that process to take place. Any tips for those folks?
1: Definitely. So we're going to want to make sure you allot enough time to do that. Um, You know, we know that this is an emergency thing here. but managing expectations is always key. Know that you're going to have processing time. Um, The second part of that is it does cost money, right? You know, everything costs money these days. The fee to do that initial application has gone up from $631 to $688. So making sure you have the funds to pay for that. And then, you know, getting all of your other ducks in a row with your paperwork, you are going to have to upload documentation with this that proves that you meet these criteria. And so, making sure you not only determine, yes, my facility meets this criteria, make sure you can prove that on paper. So, you want your time, your money, and, you know, your proof that you meet this criteria because, you know, CMS is going to ask for all of that.
0: Now, kind of take a little bit of a pivot here we've talked about some of the bigger impacts from this ruling Um, what other obstacles barriers challenges however you want to put it that you're seeing from providers as you take them on as an as a client what are some of the whether it's just education background documentation they're not providing what are some of the biggest headaches that just come right to the top when dealing with a provider today that they need to learn from
1: The biggest issue we are faced with is always the time management aspect Um, we realize this is real life and we don't always get a multi-month heads up when a provider is coming Um, but the more time we have to prepare ahead of time and submit that enrollment the better what we're finding is you know we get notice that a provider is hired and they're coming on and they start in two weeks In two weeks, we can't have enrollment processed, you know, and so at that point, your physician's completely out of network and the office managers are trying to build them a patient base. They're scheduling patients like crazy, trying to get them in the door. And at that point, there's no money coming in from that. And so you either chalk that up to that's the cost of doing business or you try to find a way to not have that happen again. And that only the only solution is time here. Right. We need more time. And the providers don't understand that either, and I think that's that's there's a huge gap in the education from when they come out of school and they start working. They don't know how that process works, and so you know educating not only the practices but those physicians as well, they need to become more familiar so that they can help play their own part in that process
2: ideally how how long should a practice notify you or how how soon should they be starting that process so wet behind the ears, fresh out of medical school clinician wants to start, are we looking at 30 days, 60 days? What Typically, what are we looking at?
1: When we get um, fresh providers out of residency, um, you know, most residency programs end at the end of June, beginning of July, we like to have notice by March, April, that, hey, we've got this person on the hook. We want a contract with them. Ideally four to six months because the legal aspect behind it is that these these insurance companies legally have up to 180 days to process credentialing. That's six months. It's a huge chunk of time um, and this is a necessary component, right We have doctors out here pretending to be doctors uh, who don't have the necessary um, credentials. And so that's how this process began, right We want real providers we want, good providers. And so we need the time to make sure that we have safe care out there.
2: Right. We don't want a Frank Abagnale situation where you know, someone has literally walked in off the street and starts providing uh, care to patients.
1: It's scary and it continues to happen. And I just, I can't imagine how this this actually happens, but it, it does.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, Jason, I know we're coming right up on time here. Uh, Got some more questions?
0: Yeah, I guess, uh, Raquel, just maybe to wrap it up, we, we've given some really good advice to folks and, and some updates that have come down the pipe. What other maybe PE tricks of the trade, you know, key takeaway to take from this as a provider? Let's say, we, you know, we have a practice administrator, hospital administrator listening. What key you know t- uh, tricks of the trade would you give to them?
1: If you are managing your enrollment in-house, if you've got someone in-house that's doing that, make sure that you have an organized process in place. Um, This is a very process-driven thing here, credentialing. Um, You have very specific steps. And don't get me wrong, the process goes off the rails, right? Somebody doesn't receive your credentialing app, it takes longer, there's an issue, we hear you. Um, But by being organized and having a very clear process, with actual deadlines in it, you can help try to prevent some of those issues. And so the organization is really gonna be key, especially if you have more than one staff member doing enrollment in your office. If you have a a two person team or anything bigger than that, you're definitely gonna need a clear defined process for everybody to follow.
0: Fantastic. Well, we've had a great discussion, lots of insights uh, into the everyday operations of provider enrollment. Again, an area severely underappreciated, undervalued. So we really appreciate uh, Raquel's expertise and time, the enrollment slayer for SHP uh, for joining us today. And uh, with that, we wish everybody a great rest
2: of your day and week. Thank you for joining us, Raquel.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. It was great.
2: You've been listening to Beyond the Stethoscope, Vital Conversations with SHP, a production of Strategic Healthcare Partners.
0: For more information about our podcast, including back episodes, show notes, transcripts, and more, visit our website at shpllc.com podcasts.
2: And I know you've heard it before, but please consider rating our podcast in your favorite podcast app. It helps make others aware of the show.
0: And our podcast wouldn't be possible without our wonderful team of folks.
2: Editing and production assistance by Nyla Weave and myself, Aaron Higgins.
0: And your episode hosts are Aaron Higgins and myself, Jason Crosby.
2: Our social media coordinator is Jeremy Miller.
0: Our executive producers are also principals Mike Scribner and John Crew.
2: For more from SHB, consider following us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.
0: And as always, thank you for listening, and have a great, wonderful day.
1: Analytics. Lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis? Not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit SHPLLC.com for details.